Today will be Romans 7, uh, 18 through 25. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members a members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, this body, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andre 3000. For that reading of the word. When uh, Scott England kept saying, Pastor Trey, Pastor Trey, I know a lot of you guys were going, who? Who is that? What is he talking about? So I feel like um, stage of life and everything else, I need to introduce myself. There's a lot of new people here. So my name is Trey Bailey. Uh, I have actually started working at the church 25 years ago, 25 years ago. And this greatness is from you. So thank you for all that. And you're like, how is it for me? I don't even know who you are. Um, but I began working here 25 years ago. I've, I've worn all sorts of different hats uh, in different areas of ministry. And now I'm kind of like a behind-the-scenes guy, uh, handle a lot of the church administration stuff. And even on Sundays, like I see you because I sneak in and sit in uh, the back with my wife and family. So that's kind of where I'm at in my stage of life. But I felt like I needed to introduce myself. because Some of you are like, I don't even know who they're talking about. Um, so the next question would be, then why is this guy speaking today if he's like the behind-the-scenes guy? And uh, it's bas- basically because Kurt Petersheim, your pastor, is kicking uh, tail. He's doing a fantastic job. I know, right? And uh, to, to God be the glory, obviously, but we do want to encourage Kurt in that. He is, he is doing a great job, not just preaching on Sunday, which you hear. He is an amazing, gifted really preacher and teacher of the word. And at the same time, he's leading the, the East Campus in such a wonderful way with the staff. Uh, the man, this commitment to prayer and synergy is so good. I just, I hope you can feel the ripples of that in the congregation, that you feel the leadership being kind of passed on and the humility of our, our founding, our founding, our, our uh, lead pastor, Scott Moore, his humility to hand that baton over when he's still got gas in the tank, y'all. I mean, that guy's still got it. But he's like, let's give the, the, the next generation uh, this opportunity to lead. And I just, I, I think you're in a good place, man. I think Eastridge is a great place. And I'm not saying that because I've been here for 25 years. Uh, I'm saying it because I really do love this place and want to see it continue to grow and uh, to, to continue to see us boast in Christ. That's what I'd like to see. And so I just wanted, you know, wanted to, uh, to, to explain why I'm teaching Romans 7. It wasn't because they said, hey, let's get a content specialist. This is all about Paul's struggle with sin. Let's get one of the most sinful uh, staff members up there, which may be true, I'm not sure. We don't usually have a, a scorecard for that or anything. But, you know, but I wanted to be able to, to relate. I want you guys to relate too, but we wanted Kurt to have a break. That was the whole point. God, that's long. That's two minutes to tell you. We just wanted Kurt to have a break for a minute. So he has a day off. Kurt, enjoy your time off. I think he's still here walking around, but 
All right, so we're going to jump into Romans 7, and here's how I do it. Man, I just want to just walk through the scriptures with you, share a few stories along the way. So we're going to go kind of quick, but there's two goals, two goals for today. One is that you'll be honest about your struggle with sin. I'm going to be. I hope that you will be. And then secondly, that you will then get your eyes off yourself and look at Christ. And we'll boast in Christ. That's the two points. Admit you struggle with sin, and at the end, man, just focus your attention on our rescuer, King Jesus. Now, if you're not a note taker, give me 30 seconds. Now, for all you people like me who are kind of OCD and you want to write some stuff down, here's how we're going to handle the sermon today in four pieces. So if you want to write this down, you can. The first six verses, one through six, we're going to call that the old ball and chain. It's an analogy to marriage. I didn't say that. It's just the old ball and chain, first six verses. The next verses will be, part two will be seven through 13, and we're going to call that sin bad, law good. Okay, you can do that with me. Ready? Sin bad, law good. All right, great. Now, some of you older people in the crowd, you're like, oh man, that sounds like Tonto. I get that. Some of you younger people in the crowd went, that's so racist. And then some of you in the middle, like Gen X folks, you went, sin bad, but that like a comedian in the 80s? Sin bad. All right, so part two uh, is going to be sin bad, law good. Part three, verses 14 through 24, and we're going to call that the conflict within. The conflict within. And then the last verse, just verse 25, uh, we're going to call it this, boast in Christ. Boast in Christ. That's the four pieces of the sermon today. So if you want to get started, uh, Romans 7, verse 1, and remember what the first section is called, the old ball and chain. The old ball and chain. Now you said that too enthusiastically. Here we go. Romans 7, 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only during that person's lifetime? If you're alive, the law applies to you. Thus, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Sorry, guys, but if the husband dies, she is discharged from the law. Remember that word discharged. It's set free, released from. She is discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. All right, now I'm not getting into divorce or any of that stuff today. That's not the purpose of this passage. It's just simply saying that when you get in a marriage together and both of you are still alive, you are fulfilling what the law says. You're supposed to be together. That's what he says. So, verse 4. In the same way, so like this analogy, in the same way, my friends, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. Remember the word body here because he doesn't just say you're died to the law through Christ. The body is important. So you, uh, in the same way, my friends, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. And who is that that you belong to? To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 5, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work within our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged. We are Uh, The chains have been broken. We're discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive. That's like wartime language, slavery language. We're dead to that which held us captive so that we are slaves, not under the old written code, but the new life of Christ. So we're still slaves, but in the new life of the Spirit, Spirit of Christ. And so what we see there, just at the beginning here, is the ball and chain is broken. So the main point is we're released 
If you want to figure out all this marriage analogy, this is difficult up front, gets a lot easier after this. The main point is we're released from, from the ball and chain, the condemnation of the law that's been broken. But we're not, it's not just broken, we're now joined to Christ. So the body of Christ that hung on the cross broke that chain. And if you believe that we sang two songs about breaking chains, obviously he can do that. He breaks that chain. And then we are then married again because he's not dead yet. He's resurrected. I mean, he did die, but now he's resurrected. And we are then married with him. So that's for us. We're released from the ball and chain, the condemnation of the law, and we're joined to Christ. So the law was fulfilled with Jesus' body on the cross. And what we owed to the law has been completed. We, with Christ, died to the law, and now we're free to be married to another. <sighs> Everybody get that? That was simple, wasn't it? But we talked about this last week in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, verse 14. And if you remember, if you did the exercise where you wrote, wrote uh, law on one side, then you wrote grace on the other side. Do you remember the verse we used for grace? It's for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And that is a beautiful promise to us. So if we are separated now from the condemnation of the law, then the law must have been bad. That, that's the question I would ask. If now we're free from that old ball and chain, then the law must have been bad. And that's a really great question that we are going to answer, but not just yet. Hang on to it. Section two of the sermon, for those of you following along, remember what that is? Sin, bad, law, good, right. Okay, I want to tell you a story. When my girls were younger, I have uh, twins and an older girl, so we have three girls all together. But when they were younger, cartwheels. They love some cartwheels, right? Anybody got girls? Did anybody love to do cartwheels? I guess I shouldn't. Guys probably love to do cartwheels too. I don't know. Fine. That laugh said, no, not doing any cartwheels, buddy. But my kids love to do cartwheels. And look, they were so particular about like the specific kind of grass that was great for cartwheeling. I don't know if that's what you call it, but cartwheeling. We have like tall, thick-bladed fescue at our house. Not the greatest grass for cartwheeling. Zoysia, any agronomist in the house, you know, zoysia is a spongier type grass, but kind of spiky. So nice and soft, but too spiky. They love Bermuda. They love some Bermuda grass. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some, when it's nice and thick and it's cut down low, that's some good cartwheeling grass. All right? I know it's silly, but I'm telling you, this is a good story. <laughs> One day, we had pulled up to the square in Covington, and this is before vampires had taken over. We, we pulled up... <laughs> And we pulled to the interior of the square, and we used to eat, you know, we would eat dinner when there's all the kids and they're little. You, you eat in the swagger wagon. You eat in the van. You don't get out and do that. You go through the drive-thru, got our Happy Meals, got our McNuggets or whatever. We're eating, and they see on the square has just been resodded with Bermuda sod, like the cartwheeling kind. And so they're like, Daddy, Daddy, can we, can we get out? Can we do cartwheels? Can, can we go do the cartwheels? I'm like, well, of course. There's no vampires out here. Go at it. Like, <laughs> Get to cartwheeling. And so I'm encouraging this cartwheelingness, right? And they're getting out there and they're cartwheeling. Man, they have no, like, absolutely no remorse. They're having a great time. No guilt, no shame. Unadulterated cartwheel fun is being had. No regrets. Then, a 
I saw the sign. I opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. <laughs> Keep off the grass. I'll do that for those of you who can read. Keep off the grass. Now, in this analogy, I just want you to hear for a second. That's the law, right? The law was keep off the grass. And so I want to kind of help explain something here. I have encouraged my kids to break the law that I knew nothing about. They're cartwheeling, having a good time, no guilt, no shame. Why should they? They're still breaking the law, but they're having a great time. And so what I want you to see about what the sign, the law, the law itself was not bad. But it revealed to, our, to, to me and to our kids that we were doing something wrong. So law is, is not bad. The law is really good. But the law doesn't always explain the why. There's no asterisk anywhere or footnotes that say, this is why you got to keep off the grass. And that's no different than you and me. I mean, we, we hear the law. Let's do this now. When we hear the law, we're like, man, why? Why would I do that? Why would I follow that law? And here's what essentially is happening. The, all we know that the law says is thou shalt not touch the grass. And that means we must trust the lawgiver that he has a reason to give us that law. We don't always understand that. So let's just say in this situation, maybe, uh, maybe there's some dangerous chemical on the, on the grass that could actually hurt us, make us sick. Well, that'd be a good law to stay off the grass. Maybe, maybe there's something going on underneath the surface of the grass that, that might harm us and we can't see that yet. And so it's like, keep off the grass. That's the law. Maybe the lawgiver is just saying, not right now. Once the grass is established, then you can cartwheel all you want. So it's a delayed gratification. Are you guys feeling any of this? Like, you hear what I'm saying? Like, whatever cartwheeling is for you, it's different. I understand. But there's a reason we challenge the law. The thing is, in our sin nature, we don't always trust that the lawgiver has given us a good law, and we want to challenge it. And so now, once we have awareness of the law, once, whether we fully understand the, the why, once we have awareness that there is a law, now we get in the feels, right? Now our, we're awakened to the fact that, oh, I shouldn't be cartwheeling on the grass. And once we know that, then we can be shame. We can feel shame. Man, I shouldn't have been cartwheeling on the grass. I can't believe I cartwheeled again. You know, like, oh, I did it again. I cartwheeled. Or, or we could say, what a stupid, what a stupid law. I should cartwheel whenever I want to cartwheel. It's not fair. And so what happens is our sin nature, it arouses more sin in us when we find out the law, even when we don't completely understand it. Let's look at see how Paul explains this in verse 7. He says, what then should we say, that the law is sin? By no means. And in the Greek, it's a heck no. Like, it's a slight translation error in your Bibles. But what should we say then? That the law is sin? Heck no. Yet, if, I had, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have any... I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You say that word. All kinds of covetousness. And apart from the law, 
Sin lies dead. If I didn't know about it, it it, everything should be fine. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, when I found out about don't get on the grass, sin revived and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. And that's what sin does. It deceives us. And that law is not for me. That law shouldn't apply. Verse 12, so the law is holy. And the commandment, in this case, do not covet. The commandment is holy and just and good. And so sin, bad. Law, good. 13, did what is good then bring death to me? By no means. Heck no. It was sin working death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. So we find out the law. It shows that sin is really sin. And then through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. So the law shows us that actually the sin gets worse. Once we realize that we can't uphold the law, we can't do every little thing that it tells us to do. We can try, and when we don't reach it, it's like, ah, it causes more sin. And that sin wells up. And that sin then becomes something that we can't on our own get rid of. And so what we must have is a rescuer. Someone to come in and break those chains that we're bound to, the the condemnation of the law. But then we also need somebody to help us not break it all the time, right? We need someone to rescue us. Okay. Part three. The conflict within. Now, I don't want to go there yet. Hang on one second. Covetousness. Because it's a hard word to say. It means, first of all, it's the 10th commandment. often overlooked. Like I just said, that's the 10th commandment. Y'all went, ah, I might have to go back and check that. I'm not sure. I mean, I know don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. Covetousness. Covetousness is wanting something that you don't have. Wanting an experience that you want, but you can't have. Looking at your neighbor's stuff or your friend's stuff on Instagram and going, I sure would like that. I wish I could live like that. If no, no covetousness, I won't keep saying it, no, I'm practicing. No covetousness is commandment 10. Then 10b is thou shalt not FOMO. A few got it. All right, it's an acronym for fear of missing out. It's really like covetousness junior. So I want your stuff, and I'm also scared to death I'm going to miss out on what you got. You got experiences that I don't get to have. And maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I can't handle them. But that's commandment 10b, thou shalt not FOMO. We don't have time to keep going. We could preach another whole message, right, about covetousness, but that's not the main point here. The main point is the law. And so I want to get to this. The third point, the conflict within. I want to tell you a story um, about my mom. And I'm going to probably call her mama a few times in here because I'm a good southern boy. I can't help it. So if I say mama, don't be judging me. Um, she's my mama. So, uh, December 11th, just this past December, um, my mom had a massive stroke that nearly killed her. And the first 24 to 48 hours were really touch and go. And, you know, we didn't know if she was going to make it. And, um, we were there in the ER and we were saying our goodbyes and our love yous. I mean, it was like there, that's where we were at. No brain activity on the scan. Everybody's telling you how bad it's going to be. 
And I, I'll, I'll, and it's an aside right here. My mom, Bonnie, uh, her husband, Wayne Kitchens, they were, they were faithful members here for years and years. And now they're at a church home in, in Rutledge where they moved. But there's just been such an outpouring from our church family. And I know some of you I don't even know, but many of you that I do, you reached out and your calls and meals and, and, and just the, your prayers. I just want to say thank you, like, uh, on behalf of me and my brother and my stepdad. I just, just thank you because those prayers are working. Um, she's making small, tiny steps of improvement. Um, but I'm just thankful that the church can be the church, even when a member has moved on to another place. But the church rallies around and it's truly a good family. And so if you don't have a church, I'll tell you, this is a pretty good one. Uh, and I'd encourage you to, to go to starting point. Now, why is this emotional? I, I should probably get to the point. Um, and all through this story, I want to give you the permission to laugh if necessary, if it feels appropriate and you feel that emotion. That is A-OK because I will. Uh, we have laughed to keep from going insane. And so I encourage you to, to share your emotion of laughter if that's appropriate. But um, when she had the stroke, it damaged the entire left side of her brain and most of the right. So a lot of brain damage. And it's been four months. She's had continued therapy, had great treatment at uh, St. Mary's and then later at Shepherd Center. Um, just really been blessed by the Lord in that. And um, she, So she's practically nonverbal um, on, and, and, and she's paralyzed on the right side of her body. She's in a wheelchair, which presents plenty of obstacles. Uh, but I want to talk to you about her inability to process language. Um, we're in the last four months, have learned so much about brain injuries and how they're all different. Everybody responds differently. And so I've heard all kind of good stories about how stroke patients uh, can recover. And I've heard some, they're like, no, they didn't do so well. I'm just telling you that it's all different, but here's how uh, it affects my mom. She basically has two words that she can say. Um, she says, I and uh, but, okay? That's appropriate. Thank you. Um, and they're, they're varying uh, levels of I and but. So like she could be happy and be like, ah, but, 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 but. She could be sad and she'd be like, but, but. Um, she can be, uh, we can tell a joke or whatever to be, but, you know, uh, she wants to get your attention. But, 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 but. And uh, it's funny. It's, it is funny. And, and, uh, but she was a, a brilliant, and still is a brilliant woman, uh, taught for 30 years in the public school system, just full of life and energy and vibrant and dramatic and all those fun things. Um, and now this is, this is her life. It's, it's different. It's not what she had signed up for. But she can understand most everything we say. So she's got the capacity to understand stuff, uh, laugh at jokes. She can follow sitcoms. Like when I walk in the room, believe it or not, she's like, ah. She's happy. She recognizes me. She knows us. Uh, we can have conversation in which I can understand by the butts, you know, what kind of something that's happening. But the problem is her brain won't allow her to speak what it's thinking. So, her, so she thinks the right thing. This is by the stuff we've learned. She thinks the right thing, but the wrong thing comes out. And remember, she can still hear and process the information. She hears herself saying the wrong thing. And if you can imagine, that's incredibly frustrating, right? Like you would hate to be trapped like that, where you know what's coming out is not the right thing. And I don't mean to touch a nerve. I know a lot of you guys have had dementia and Alzheimer's people in your families and even Parkinson's. There's a lot of things where this manifests itself, right? Where the wrong thing is coming out and you know it and you know them and you know that's not what they mean. And one of my favorites is, I'll go, mama, that mama, mama, 
what's my name? And she'll go, but. I'm like, she likes that now. That's funny to her. But. And I've given her plenty of reason to call me but in my lifetime, so I'll take it. But the reason I bring it up, because this, this is her conflict within. She wants to say the right thing, but the wrong thing comes out. She's living in two worlds. One where her heart and her mind say one thing, and another where her flesh does and says another thing. And so I'll end this section about talking about my mom by just saying, would you continue to pray for her? Uh, it's such an encouragement when you do. And so we are praying for miracles every day. But I want to share with you in that story that Paul describes a very similar conflict in us. That we are living in two worlds at the same time. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. But yet we still stumble. Yet we still sin. I mean, we know what is right, but we don't always do it. Even when we try to do what is right, somehow we still think and do and say the wrong thing. Am I alone here? Everyone feeling what I'm feeling? It's just sad. And that's the problem is we're sad by this. I'll tell you a quick story. I don't want to keep you all day, but this happened to me yesterday. Just yeah, been preparing for this message for weeks, struggling with sin on the inside. And yesterday I'm sitting on the square, no vampires. I'm sitting on the square with my wife. We're at your pie. We're outside. We're having lunch. And we see some friends from the church and uh, they were preparing for, uh, they worked for Piedmont Newton. So they're preparing for a big event last night, big fundraiser. And they, on the way out, uh, Stephanie Ryan, I think it was, she said, uh, or maybe Andrea Lane, but she said, hey, I uh, hope to see you at the event tonight. And I was like, oh man, we're really busy. And I know I'm lying. Like we're going home after this, after we eat the sandwich, I mean, uh, pizza, we're going home. And so I said, ah, we're real busy. And I caught myself and went, ah, we're just not coming. Because <laughs> when you prepare for a message, I'm telling you, it's like everything's on high alert, you know? And I'm like, like oh, I'm not, I don't want to lie to you. No, we're not going to, we're just not coming. Which is a... Look, I'm awkward as they come. I know that. In social settings, completely awkward, introverted. You know, I don't know what to do or say. And I'm, I don't know. I don't want to lie to them, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. Anybody feel that? Like, ah. It's like, hey, I hope to see you there. Ah, I'm not going to be there. Okay. All right. All right. And she replies with, I thought you were a pastor. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means right now. Like, ah, what's happening? Am I supposed to come? Ah, expectation. And so now she goes, all right. And she's getting, letting me off the hook. Hey, if you decide to come, okay, if you decide to come, you can give your donation at the door, you know, at the gate. And I was like, ah, I know I'm not coming, but now there's a donation on the line. And I went, I I gave my donation to my brother. He's going to be there. He's much more fun anyway. That's what came out of my mouth. I had not given my brother a donation. No, I had nothing like that. I just was like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to feel bad. I don't let you down. I want you to think I'm a good person. I'm pastor, uh, that's on the line now. And look, I think they knew. I hope they do. They laughed like, you big idiot. And I went, what a big idiot. I was thinking one thing. Be truthful. Get off the hook, whatever. Be nice and truthful. Be nice and truthful if that's ever a thing you can try and do. Be nice and truthful, but don't lie. And yet, it still comes out. So I'm just telling you, that's, I struggle. That Maybe I'm why I'm here today. I'm the content, content specialist. <laughs> and I'm encouraging you to admit, yes, you struggle with sin too. Sometimes you do it and you don't even mean to. And if you have ever dealt with addiction in your life or your family's life, you're like, yeah, duh. 
Of course I do what I, I don't, I never want to do that. And yet I still do. And for those of us who have been around family members with addiction, we so quickly forget that that's a real thing. And we go, ah, why are you doing this again? Get your life together. And we go, man, wait a minute. They don't want to do this. So I feel like we need to at least hear what Paul says. And this will end our time together. This is the end of uh, part three into part four. Verse 14. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. When you break the law, you're actually going, oh, that's a good law. I should probably keep it, but I can't. And so now I know that I have done it. The law is good. 17. But in fact, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. The devil made me do it. 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Nothing good dwells in this flesh, this body of death. Nothing good dwells in this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. That's like my mom. She can will what is right, but she can't get it out. It's the same for you and me. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. It's the devil made me do it twice now in the same passage. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law, in this case, a principle. I find it to be a principle that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Even if I do something good, the enemy can go, you self-righteous little lie. Tell somebody about it. Right? Like, oh, how deceiving the enemy is. And I hope you hear the crescendo that's happening here. As Paul's saying, I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. I do. I delight in the law. I delight in his word. I want it to be true for me. But 23, but I see in the members, the, the body parts, another law that's at war with the law of my mind, making me captive, law, I mean war, captive, that language again. And we're captive to the law of sin, that principle of sin that dwells in my body, my members. And you hear him getting to hear, wretched man that I am. Wretched, miserable, afflicted. I'm so caught up in living in these two worlds. Oh, I want to obey the law. It's good. It's holy. I want it so bad. But then my flesh makes me do stuff that's dumb. And I somehow can't seem to control it. So wretched man that Paul is, wretched man that you are, wretched woman that you are, wretched teenager that you are. I'm sorry to call everybody so wretched, but that's, Paul is saying, wretched person is trapped that I am. Who can rescue me? From this body of death, body again. Whose body rescued us in the beginning? Jesus. There is a rescuer. Here we are all caught up and tangled up and you feel it and I feel it and I can't even get the stinking words out today because I'm so tangled up in it. And he said, but there's a rescuer. Do you believe that there's someone can, that can break those chains like we sing about? Do you believe that? You respond. Yes. Okay, thank you. 
Because if it was a no, I'm in the wrong place. So you believe that there's someone who can do that. Do you believe sincerely that there's someone who can rescue you? You're catching on. This is going to be a long day if you don't. So here we are caught in this conundrum. If you would, if you would just stand now, because we're getting to point four. Where we just boast in Christ alone. Who will rescue us? That's right. Thank you. You got this. Who will rescue us? And I want us all to say it, shout it. I don't care. Romans 725 says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's your rescuer. And your rescuer, he says, it's through Jesus Christ. We know what he's done. This body of work has been shown to us. It's proven to us. He's beat death, hell, the grave, the whole thing. He's back to life. He's resurrected. We're joined with him so that the bounds of the law no longer drag us down. But instead, we're under grace. But that's because we have a rescuer. And he says, thanks be to God. Thanks is worship. Thanks is going, thank you that there is someone who rescues me and I don't have to fight this battle all alone. And so if I can end with this, I just want to tell you, I've told you about myself and the old ball and chain. I've told you about my kids and stay off the grass and sin, bad, law, good. I've told you about my mama and the conflict within. But the hero today and every day is our rescuer, Jesus Christ. You can win the conflict within because you have someone within you who can fight it for you. We learn more about that next week. But for today, if we could just get our eyes off of ourselves for a moment in that struggle that we have and just give thanks to God through Jesus Christ, that's worship. So we're about to boast in Christ. And if you would like to kneel at your seat and just pray, do that. If you'd like to come down and pray with one of our prayer partners, do that. If you want to just sit and contemplate all that you've heard today, then do that. And if you want to stand and sing and boast about Christ with all of your might, then do that. Let's boast in Christ and Christ alone. He ends the book, Paul ends the book of Romans by saying, I now have reason to boast in Christ and you do too. So let's just worship him together now. Let's do it. And if you'll, uh, if you'll have a seat for like just a second, just as I wrap up here, I want to say that uh, I'll admit I, I haven't given you very much practical advice today. If you remember, it's just two goals. One, that we would all admit that we struggle with sin and two, that we'd get our eyes off of ourselves for a minute and just boast in Christ. And so I hope that has been accomplished. But if you are looking for more personal application, you're like, man, I need to sink my teeth into something and do something this week. I'd encourage you to go watch the After Church podcast where we take what you hear on Sunday and apply it to our lives on Monday. Um, We have real life conversations with pastors and staff members who are honestly sharing their struggles and how they find victory. And I just, I think it would be helpful if you, if you wanted some more practical application, eastridge.church slash Romans. You'll get all of that there. Also YouTube and any of your podcast catchers. Secondly, get some accountability. Get some accountability. James 5, 16 says, if you confess your sins one to another, Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. 
And so I encourage you here at Eastridge, there's small groups. You, you can get into a growth group. You can get into a step study, a celebrate recovery, open share group, or just ask one or two of your trusted believing friends and say, hey, I need some help. And that is a place where we confess it, not celebrate it, right? Now, some of us get together, man, let me tell you what I did last. No, this is a place where we confess to one another, pray for one another so that we will be healed, not a place that we celebrate our sin. So get an account, get any accountability somewhere. And three, the last one is simply this. It's the Sunday school answer. And you're probably tired of hearing it, but it's still very true right now. Be in the word daily. Find a way to be in the scriptures. Read through Romans with us right now. We're trying to help you with walking through what it looks like. Get a bookmark. Read through Romans with us one chapter a week. And then pray daily. Pray without ceasing. You know when it's hard to sin? When you're in the foot of the cross. When you're talking to Jesus, it's hard to be in sin. In that moment and even any unconfessed sin, it's just hard to be in the presence of the Lord and be filled with sin. So I'd encourage you, just, just when you walk out, just start praying and pray all the time. You're going to be a weirdo like that. Be a weirdo like that. It'll keep your feet out of the fire. For real, maybe. And then lastly, next week. Come back next week. Because next week, Pastor Kurt, he's going to share for two weeks, we're going to be in Romans 8, which is just a beautiful, encouraging scripture that tells us that if we are children of God, which I think most of you are, then we have the Spirit of God in us. And that is what helps us with this struggle and this conflict that is within us. So come back for the next two weeks for Romans uh, chapter 8, and you will see that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors. If we're in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. A lot of Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit next week. So come back for that. That's it. Commercial over. Hope to see you guys next week. Love you guys. Have a good week.